All right, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please turn with me to Mark chapter 1. We have quite a bit to cover today, and I'm going to try to move through quickly. So instead of reading the text in the beginning, I'm just going to pray, and then um, I'll read groups of verses at a time as we go, so you'll, you'll have a good feel of what's going on in the text as we move through. So let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, we love you, and we are so grateful to be called your church. We are so grateful to delight in your Son and to adore him and the work of the cross and to celebrate you, Father, and to worship you today in spirit and in truth. So we thank you. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you that we have been redeemed, that you are in the process of working in and through us all the time. God, you're so faithful and long-suffering, um, and you never give up on us, Lord, and we thank you for that. So I, it's the, the cry of my heart today, Lord, that you receive glory, receive glory from your people, that you would be glorified through the teaching of the Word, that we would make much of you, and that we would exalt your name, exalt the cross. May I preach Christ and preach Christ well. I pray that hearts would be open to receive the truth and that we would be ready and willing to submit to it and to apply these things to our lives. We thank you. We believe by faith that you are here moving among us. And we, we uh, rejoice in that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, today we have a narrative before us of Jesus' earthly ministry. We're going to cover uh, the rest of the chapter, and basically we're going to see Jesus in action. He's going to be healing the sick, he's going to be casting out demons, he's going to be teaching and preaching, and this is a day in the life of Christ. Now, one of the reasons that uh, this gospel is written, I would say the main reason that this gospel is written is to uh, point to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the King who has come to save His people. That's the reason for all the Gospels. And as the Son of God, His authority over sickness and the demonic is put on display. But at the same time, each Gospel kind of has its own distinct flavor. It kind of portrays a different side of Christ, if you will. And the Gospel of Mark really... Uh, shows Christ as the servant, the faithful servant of God. And we see that the same as He is healing, as He is casting out demons, as He is preaching and teaching. He is serving the people faithfully and He's serving them sacrificially as we see Him loving and serving these folks late into the night and often rising early and going at it again. He was tireless. Our Lord was a servant. And we see that as well. So I'm just going to outline this text for us a little bit today. The first part is going to be the authority in Jesus' ministry. And then we're going to look at the priority of Jesus' ministry. And then last, we will look at the heart of Jesus' ministry. So with that, let's pick up in verse 21. Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath... He entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority 
and not as the scribes. I'm not going to go too deep into this. Pastor Bill covered it last week, but just in order to get the context, I wanted to drop back and, and pick up at that point once again. Uh, Jesus is in the synagogue. What is a synagogue? We read about that through the Gospels frequently. Well, the, traditionally the place of meeting and the place of worship was the temple, the Jewish temple. But when the nation of Israel was taken captive by the Babylonians and they were carried off into exile for 70 years, the temple was gone and they were far away from it anyway. So they started meeting uh, as small communities. And there was one stipulation, there had to be at least 10 Jewish men to have a synagogue. And this was a local gathering, a place of worship. Uh, The scriptures would be read. There would be someone who, who generally oversaw this and this would be the scribe. The scribes would make copies of the Scriptures. So these men were greatly revered as experts of the law. At times you hear them referred to as lawyers, and that's why. So typically the scribe would oversee the synagogue service. These men were so revered that eventually they received the title Honored One, and that was where Rabbi came from. So that's where Jesus is at. He's teaching in a local synagogue, and... The people were amazed at the authority with which Christ spoke. And the reason that is, I'll just read one commentator. This is what he said about the scribes. The scribes prided themselves on being familiar with all possible views. It wasn't that they really chose one view and said, this is it. They would just bombard people with all kinds of views and ideas. It says that instead of faithfully explaining the simple meaning of Scripture, they delighted in complex musings, fanciful allegories, obscure insights, mystical notions, and the teachings of earlier rabbis. So there wasn't a lot of clear instruction. It was a lot of confusion. It was a lot of uh, just different things. But Jesus was not that way. Jesus said, You've heard it said, this rabbi says this, this rabbi says that, but I say to you, it was the oracles of God. It was the Son of God Himself faithfully proclaiming the truth as it was, the truth as God intended it to be. And the people were astonished at this. And this was one aspect of Christ's earthly ministry. He was a faithful teacher. He didn't sugarcoat. He didn't water down. He didn't confused people. He spoke the truth. He spoke it faithfully, boldly, and with authority. Jesus had authority in His teaching. But next, uh, we're going to see that Jesus had authority over the demonic realm. And I'm going to take some time and kind of camp out at this point. Um, So let's pick up in verse 23. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, And he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come out to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey Him. And immediately His fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. Now we know Jesus had already encountered Satan once. 
and the, uh, the temptations where he was fasting 40 days and 40 nights. But now he's going to go head to head with a demon, an unclean spirit. Now I will say it appears that there's a lot more de- uh, demonic activity happening in the Gospels happening at this time than any time before that or even to this day. We just don't hear a lot about it. And, and you do hear uh, more, it seems, in places uh, around the world uh, more so than here, um, but I would say it's probably the same. The difference is, is that they could not remain concealed when Jesus was around. There was something about the presence of Christ that absolutely terrified them. The word in the Greek here, you know, to say that the demon cried out, I feel like is an understatement. The word means they literally screamed, they shrieked with terror, with torment. They could not conceal who they were in the presence of Christ. Matthew chapter 8, verse 29, there's another encounter with a demon, and it says, And suddenly they cried out, there's that word again, they shrieked or screamed, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, the Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? So what exactly is happening here? What, what is going on? Um, just a little bit of, of uh, biblical understanding on demonology. And this is very much an overview, guys. We do believe that, obviously, God created everything. And Colossians tells us that Jesus created all things, visible, invisible, powers, principalities, all that was created by Jesus Himself. Now, at some point in time, there was a rebellion. Satan led a third of the angelic host against God in a rebellion. They were cast out of heaven. The third of of these angels became what we would know to be demons, unclean spirits. God has an appointed time for them, for Satan, for the Antichrist, for the lost, in a place called the lake of fire. It's a place of everlasting torment that has been created for Satan and for his demons. And unfortunately, the lost, those who will die in their sins, separated from God for all eternity, will be there as well. Now these demons, they know this. They know who Jesus is. And they know where they're going. And so when they see Christ, rightfully so, they are terrified. In fact, it says they were tormented and they screamed out. And here it says... Have you come to torment us before the time? So it appears that they know that there is a specific time when this is supposed to take place. I think it's interesting to notice just how terrified the demons are of Christ. I take comfort in that. I shall fear no evil because God is with me. And He who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. Now, I'm not one of these guys that likes to box with Satan. I don't bind him. I don't rebuke him. I don't do any of that. Okay? I run to the Lord. If ever I, you know, at some point in your walk, you begin to get kind of good at picking up on when you're being attacked. And uh, at times when I'm really sensing that, I run into the arms of the Lord. I cry out, God, shelter me. As I draw near to Him, He draws near to me, and the enemy has to flee. Because He is greater. I cannot go toe-to-toe with Satan, nor would I ever try. But my King is greater. And I run into His loving arms. He is my strong tower. So, 
You don't have to be afraid of, of evil. And, and there may be people in this room who know that they know that they have been in the presence of something very dark, very wicked, very evil. But even still, it doesn't matter because Jesus is greater. He has created all things. All things belong to Him. And He has appointed a time and a place for their ultimate end. And we rejoice in that. Our Lord is greater. Now, at the same time, these demons are rightfully terrified. And as I said, those who are lost, those who will perish in their sins, those who reject God, have the same end. And they should also be terrified. There should be that terror. I lived under that terror. I know. I thank God that for whatever reason, I always had some conviction on some level that there was a God. There was a heaven. There was a hell. Jesus was real. But I also understood that the life that I was choosing to live for so many years could not be reconciled with, with, uh, with that of the Christian life. So I rejected God and I lived for myself. I did what I wanted to do. But I definitely had moments where I thought, man, if I die today, where would I go? And I had that real, very real, very present fear that I would go to hell, that I would be separated from God because I had rejected Him and I chose to live in my sin. I chose my sin over God. And if that's where you are, you should be terrified. If you have rejected the Gospel, you should be terrified because the Bible clearly teaches there is a place of torment. I, you know what, guys? I wish that it were not so. I wish that I could just block that out. I wish I could ignore it and act like it wasn't there, but I cannot because the Bible clearly teaches it. In fact, Jesus preached that more than anyone else in the Bible, that there is a place of everlasting torment, a place called hell. And... I cannot, I cannot dismiss that or hide that. I have to teach that and I have to plead. I have to plead. I've heard it said, if people are going to insist, force their way into hell, may they do it climbing over our bodies. May we have our arms wrapped around their knees and their ankles pleading with them not to go. So I plead. I plead with you. Choose Christ. Choose Christ. Repent of your sins. Turn. You don't have to live under this terror anymore. You don't have to live under this torment. In fact, you can have something so much greater. And this is what I want to talk about now. The love of God. I want to talk about the love of God because for those of us who know Christ, for those of us who have been forgiven, for those of us who have been born again, there is no fear of torment. There is no fear of hell. And let me read to you 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as He is, so are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. Perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. And we don't have that fear. We don't live underneath that fear. We live under the perfect love of God. The perfect love of Christ. It says that we can have boldness in the day of judgment. That doesn't mean arrogance, but it means that we can come before God knowing that we are there because of the merits of Christ. Because of the work of the cross. 
We are beloved children of God. We have that kind of boldness. There is no torment. There is no terror. We have been set free from that. We have the peace of God. We have peace with God. And may I say to you, that is one of the greatest reasons to be a Christian. People will present to you many different reasons why you should follow Christ. Some of them are completely wrong. Some of them are lesser motivations, weaker motivations, but I would present to you the greatest reason to follow Christ is Christ. The greatest reason to walk with God is so that you can have Him. So that you can have a relationship with the Lord here and now, in this time, in this place, and then throughout all of eternity. That is the greatest reward of the Christian is Christ Himself. And we have that. We don't have fear. We don't have terror. We don't have torment. We don't have separation. We have the love of Christ. We have the love of Christ. And that is a treasure. That is a treasure. And we love Him because He first loved us. Amen? Amen. Alright, moving on. Now we're going to look at the authority Christ has over sickness. Verse 29. Now as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife, mother, uh, lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. So just a couple little side notes. One here we see that Peter had a mother-in-law, which tells us that he had a wife, and that's just an interesting thing to note. It would appear they left the synagogue. Uh, they came back to his house probably with uh, his brother and James and John, the four of them with Jesus. Now they're back at their house. Uh, Peter's mother-in-law is uh, laying very sick. Uh, it would appear that this is a, a very serious and debilitating illness for her to be uh, down as, as she was with a fever. But it says that Jesus healed her. Because it says that she got up immediately and served them, this healing was complete, this healing was immediate, and this healing was verifiable. And we'll talk more about that a little later on. So I just want to say that much. We know that much about Jesus' healings. They were legitimate, and it was very obvious right away. You knew it. It was complete, immediate, verifiable. One little side note. I just wanted to hit this. Just You know, Peter had a wife. Um, and what we know from history is that uh, Peter was crucified, and history tells us that he requested to be crucified upside down uh, because he didn't feel he was uh, worthy to suffer the way that his Lord did. But what they don't often tell you is history teaches his wife was crucified too, right before he was. And they say that he, he cried out to his wife, Remember the Lord. And that amazes me to think that, uh, that they, they went to the death for their Lord. I mean, they really believed this stuff. Their life really was given to the gospel, given to Christ. They really lived sacrificially. It costed them their lives. And even to the death, Peter's encouragement to his wife was, remember the Lord. I mean, that's leadership, guys. Even at that point, pointing his wife, her, her mind, her thoughts back to, to the Lord, even in a situation like that. So it was a little rabbit trail. Sorry about that, guys. But I, I like the little history stuff that's kind of um, hidden, hidden back behind the scenes there. So, All right. 
We'll talk more about the healing of Christ at the end of this text um, before I really get into all that. So next, let's look at verse 32. At the evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. So now it's, um, it was the Sabbath. Jesus was preaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Uh, they could not bring people uh, to Jesus. That would be considered work. The sun was going down, so in the Jewish reckoning, this was actually the beginning of the next day. So the Sabbath was over. Now people are coming from all over the town, bringing their sick to Jesus to heal them. And it said that he, healed, he was healing everybody, the whole city. This is, one commentator said this is like a picture of the millennial reign of Christ when there is no sickness. For this season of time, it was as though sickness and disease ceased. Uh, throughout Israel uh, at the level in which Jesus was healing people. And as I thought about that, that just really hit me in a special way. Can you imagine a time when there will be no sickness? There will be uh, no disease. There will be none of that because our Lord is here and His kingdom is among us and all that has come to an end. And it's almost like a small picture of that here at this time. And it says that the demons cried out, but Jesus did not allow them to speak. Jesus did not need demonic endorsement. Uh, there were times where the Pharisees would even try to accuse Jesus of um, casting out demons by the power of demons. So uh, Jesus obviously shot that down, but he did not allow the demons to speak. All right, moving on. Now we're going to look at the priority in Jesus' ministry. Verse 35. Now in the morning... Having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, Let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also. Because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. So the first thing that we notice, now Jesus had been healing, I would say, probably well into the night. Well into the night. All the people from all around were coming to Peter's house for Jesus to heal them. And yet, he's up early, long before daylight. He gets up, he goes away to a solitary place to pray, to meet with God. Now if the Son of God, God incarnate himself, had to break away early before the day and get away alone with God how much more should we? I mean, if that was a priority to Jesus, should it not be a priority to us? And there's something so very special about getting up early, getting up before the daylight and in a solitary place and meeting with the Lord in prayer and, and reading the, the Word of God and having that time alone with God. If you're not doing that, I encourage you to start, please, because it's, it's a matter of uh, spiritual... Uh, starvation if you're not. Um, I remember there's, on, there's this illustration that we'll often use. If you have two dogs and they're, they're uh, fighting dogs and you starve one and you really feed the other one and you put them together, who do you think is going to win? 
And the common answer would be obviously the healthy dog, the one that's not starving. And, and we liken that to, to spiritual things, right? We are in a battle, the flesh and the spirit, and we need to be feeding the flesh. I was teaching at a drug rehab one time, and I, I used that same illustration, and I asked the question, which one do you think would win? And the guy said, the one that's starving because he's more vicious. And it kind of threw me off for a second. I thought, oh, man. And um, as I thought about it, I thought maybe so at first, but then it will get exhausted right away because it doesn't have what it needs to go the distance. And can I say that is also a picture of the flesh and the spirit. The more you starve the flesh, the flesh will scream. The flesh will cry out, but the flesh cannot overpower because the spirit is strong. You've fed your spirit. And you can't just neglect spiritual things for a long period of time, get up one day and do it and think, now it's all good. I mean, you have to be regularly meeting with the Lord in His presence, at His feet, on your face, seeking Him. And I remember I had a, 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 a neighbor one time. He was a brother in the Lord. And I was very young in the Lord at that point, And we were talking. And he, he made this comment I'll never forget. He said, you have no right to go out and serve the Lord until you first worship Him. And, uh, he was, and that was in the context of our daily meeting with the Lord. And we saw Jesus do this. He would get away by himself and meet with the Lord and receive from him. And then he would go out and he would serve in radical ways. If it was a priority for Christ and his ministry, how much more should it be a priority for us? And then when Peter came to him and was like, all these people are here, we need to come back, we need to go, perhaps he thought that, Jesus would jump on that. Jesus would say, yeah, we need to go where the people are. Everyone's here. But that's not what he did. He said, we need to go to the next town because this is the reason that I came. He came to preach. So while Jesus absolutely healed people, he did it all the time, and he cast out demons, the greater emphasis was put on preaching the gospel. That's what Jesus came to do. That was the pinnacle of Jesus' earthly ministry to preach the truth of God's Word. And we want that to always be the central focus. That's why we at Cornerstone believe in teaching the Bible. We don't teach from the Bible. We teach the Bible. And we teach it verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, and we preach the Gospel. We believe in the centrality of the Gospel message. And ultimately, guys, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. All right, And we make much of Him. And we lift up the cross and we give that to you. But then beyond that, it should affect your lives. Every aspect of your life should be shaped by the Gospel. If you think the Gospel is boring, if you think the Gospel is, you know, that's for beginners, then you are dead wrong. The Gospel should never get old. The Gospel should be shaping every aspect of your life from beginning to end. We love Jesus. We love the Gospel. We preach the Gospel the centrality of the gospel. That's what Jesus was about. That's what we seek to be about as we want to honor the Lord. Amen? Amen. All right. Lastly, we're going to look at the heart behind Jesus' ministry. And we're going to kind of close with this. So, verse 40. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, If you are willing, willing you can make me clean. Then Jesus, moved with compassion, stretched out His hand and touched him and said, I am willing, be cleansed. I love that. I love that. The leper knows, he believes, 
But the question is, will Jesus? And Jesus does. He is willing. Now, what is leprosy? I've already heard Pastor Bill talk about this uh, at great length before, so I won't go too deep into it. But basically, it was there were different forms of leprosy, but one in particular, uh, it was something that would attack the nervous system. It would start inside under the skin. It would deaden and kill the nerves and then work its way out through the flesh and uh, rotten boils and sores. And then um, eventually you would start your fingernails, fingers would fall off, ears, um, eyebrows, eyelashes, all that stuff falls off, your face swells up uh, really bad. Uh, and, and the average life expectancy of something like this was nine years. Um, people would suffer greatly with this disease for a long time. And it was uh, very communicable, so that they would be outcasts. They were uh, sent to live in leper colonies, and they were isolated. And any time somebody would be even getting close to them, they would have to cry out. They would have to cover themselves and cry out, unclean, unclean. And uh, people would, you know, obviously uh, just, they were outcasts. And it was a very awful, awful uh, way to live and then die. And so this was the state of the man that came to Jesus. And he came to him and he cried out in desperation. And notice this, Jesus was moved with what? Compassion. Jesus was moved with compassion. And it's an interesting word for compassion. It's uh, very closely linked to the word that we also get for heart. Whenever you see... um, Refresh my heart and the Lord, uh, Paul says to Philemon, is the word splagnon, and it's a it's an ugly sounding word, uh, and I think we get the word spleen from it, but it means literally bowels and intestines. So it's really peculiar that Paul would say, you know, refresh my bowels in the Lord, brother. Or, but uh, that was the the thinking there was. Well, you know, you laugh till you get butterflies or till your side splits, uh, or you get butterflies in your stomach when you're nervous, laugh till your side split, things like that. That was the, the seat of emotion, uh, what we would refer to as the heart. They often saw that in the core, like in the, the stomach, the, the uh, gut, if you will. And um, Jesus was moved with compassion. I mean, it was. Uh, it was why he did what he did. It wasn't a chore. It wasn't an obligation. That was his heart. That was the heart of our Lord. And I love that because that's what it's all about for us, guys. Jesus could be all the things that we, we know he is, the King, God, all of that. But if he didn't have compassion, where would we be? If he didn't have compassion for the lost, where would we be? And so I love the fact that our Lord is a compassionate Savior. He is our Savior, right? And He is a compassionate high priest. He can relate with us. He understands our weakness and our strugglings. And He cares. He cares. So I'm so grateful that our God is compassionate, and I want to model that. When I serve the Lord, I don't want it to be because I have to or because it's the right, just the right thing to do. I want it to be because my heart breaks for the people the way Jesus' heart breaks. I want to have the mind of Christ, the heart of Christ, and the compassion of Christ. And there's this really cool story I'll share with you guys. In the late 1800s, a missionary, his name was Damien, 
And I don't know, his last name's hard to pronounce, so I'm just going to say it starts with a V. So Damien V. He was a missionary, and he went to Hawaii, and there was a leper colony there. So he went to be a missionary to the lepers. And he was there for many years. And uh, because of his presence there, the, the uh, quality of life for these uh, lepers uh, increased greatly uh, as far as the infrastructure there, schools, just all these different things that he was able to bring about for them. It was truly wonderful, and he, he loved them. He didn't keep any kind of distance between himself and, and the lepers. Uh, he embraced them freely. So at some point later on, years later, he was um, boiling water, and he spilt it on his foot and realized he didn't feel it. And so then he, he understood that he had, uh, had leprosy. And it did, uh, he did end up dying from it. And you can actually find pictures of him uh, if you Google it. And it, yeah, I mean, he, he was messed up. But he died in that condition. And so the story goes, as I had heard it, they sent his body back to his homeland to be buried. But the lepers there had requested his hand. They wanted to bury his hand there with them and and when asked why they said because that was the hand that touched us I thought wow that's powerful that is so cool that is the compassion of Christ that is sacrificial love that is service to the death that is a man who did not count his life precious to himself but freely gave it away for Christ so that he could go and have compassion on these people who nobody else would have compassion on and love them the way Christ would have loved them and, and I want that to be true of me. Don't you want that to be true of you? Don't you want to have that same kind of compassion? Um, and this is not necessarily something you can just make yourself have, guys. We have to pray to the Lord. We have to ask Him to give us His heart, to give us His mind, to give us a greater level of compassion as He did. All right, let's close with this. Last few verses. Verse 42. As soon as He had spoken, immediately the leprosy left Him, and He was cleansed. And he strictly warned him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way. Show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, he went out and began to proclaim freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places and they came to him from every direction." Jesus would ask people at times not to go tell people He healed them because He knew what would happen immediately thereafter and that He would just be bombarded from all sides and ministry would be hindered. Uh, And that's what He asked this guy. But notice that when He sent him on His way, He said, show yourself to the priest. This is significant, guys, because that was part of the Old Testament law. If you had some sort of disease and you were counted as unclean by the priest and then you were healed, you had to go to the priest and be declared as such. That is not like the healings that we so often see from a lot of these fake healers out there today. It is not verifiable. And again, like I said, I used to be very involved in addictions ministry, especially in in Tennessee. And I remember the, the ministry in particular I was involved with would visit different churches from time to time. They would get invitations, and sometimes they would end up in some bizarre churches. And there was this one that, uh, I mean, they were really putting on a show i mean it was a healing service and just going to town and um the pastor stood up and said you know the lord has told me that there's someone in here with hepatitis 
and he wants to heal you. So come forward. So a few people did. They got up and came forward. Now first let me just say that is not impressive. Um, if you're dealing with addictions ministry, it's not uncommon at all for people to have hepatitis. So um, that, you know, you could just throw that out there and odds are, yeah, you know, th- there are. But what angered me was that they would humble themselves like that in desperation in front of a bunch of people and come forward um, and the guy was like, okay, you're healed. Now, the doctors are going to tell you you're not healed, um, and it's not going to look any different, but you are. And when I heard this, I was just furious, because that's not how the Lord operated. When the Lord healed someone, they were healed, and people knew it, and it was verifiable. And I was so angry that they, uh, they, they got put in that situation. Uh, that was not how our Lord operated. And then he told the guy to tell no one. And I just going to close with this. He was asked not to tell anybody. But we have been told to tell somebody. Have we not? We all had leprosy spiritually. We all had a disease, a disease that was eating us alive from the inside out. And we have been healed. We have been healed of that leprosy. The Lord has healed us. And it's verifiable. I'm not the man that I used to be or excuse me, I'm not the man that I want to be, but I'm not the man that I used to be. That's for sure. But are we telling people? Because this guy was asked not to, but we were told to tell. Have you told somebody? I want to encourage you. Go out this week and tell somebody that you've been healed, that the Lord has saved you, that you have been forgiven much. Amen? Amen. All right, guys, that's it. Let me pray for us. Lord, we love you. We thank You for the cross. As I have said, I can't thank You enough. I can never stop thanking You for that. Thank You that we've been healed. Lord, thank You that You're in the business of healing and restoring people who have been separated from You and dying of an incurable disease called sin. So Lord, we just ask that You would give us that heart of compassion for others, Your heart, I pray, Lord, that we would live in the reality of Your love. We're not under torment. We're not terrified. We've been set free, and now we live under the banner of Your love. So I pray, Lord, that You would help us to have that realization. Help us to have that mind and that heart. In Jesus' name, amen.